just a quick heads up, thoughts of suicide and homicide are mentioned in passing in this interview. If you or someone you know struggles with thoughts like these or any mental health issue, please reach out to someone. If you are in the United States, you can always call the National Helpline 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. Also briefly mentioned are the ideas of infertility and miscarriage. Uh, Debbie also shares about her brother's passing when he was 35 years old and describes her own grief as well as her mother's grief after his passing. I thought I should mention these things in case any of these are sensitive topics for you and you don't want to listen today, which is okay. You can always come back to this episode later. Um, I also make reference to my religion, but failed to specify my religion is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because Debbie already knows that, and I forgot I was making this for other people to listen to. (laughs) Um, Debbie and I talk about work a lot, so to clarify, and for those who don't know, I work as a private music teacher and a music therapist. Lastly, a reminder that my husband's name is Troy. Debbie mentions him as we chat, and that's who she's referencing. Okay, enjoy! All right, welcome to Laura Asks About Motherhood, where I, Laura Pruitt, ask my guests about their experiences of being a mom. Today's guest is an amazing boss lady. She owns Mindful Music Therapy Services here in the Phoenix area, which is how I met her. I am one of her subcontractors. She loves music, music making, music therapy, talking, laughing, and also makes delicious soup. She has two daughters, ages 32, almost 33, and 29. Please welcome my supervisor turned friend, Debbie Crett. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you, Laura. Yes, I'm so happy to have you and chat with you. So just to jump right in, did you always know that you wanted kids? No, actually I didn't. I, I never, I always wanted to be a rock star and never thought I would have kids. Um, and then in high school, I was having problems with my menstru- menstrual cycle. And um, the doctor at that time actually just thought that I was making it up so that he would put me on the pill, but that was not the case. Um, I really, I had endometriosis, which was diagnosed when I was 25. But when I was younger than that, I honestly didn't, I come from a large family. I'd already, um, you know, babysat from the time I was probably 10 because my little brother and sister, and then out in the community, not much older than that. As a little kid, we had a neighbor that had a little girl my age, but she was severely uh, developmentally delayed. Uh, we had different different names for that back in those days, but um, they were just right next door and I would go play with her at dinner time so her mom could make dinner. Um, so I'd always kind of had that nurturing and that mother role from a young age. So I just never really thought that I'd be a mom. It was not on my radar. I was, you know, going to be a rock star. And and then, you know, when I was rich and famous, I'd probably adopt kids from, from Africa was kind of what I was thinking when I was in high school. That's so interesting to me that you said that you like always had that nurturing role and like that mothering role stuck people around you, but you never imagined yourself as a mom yourself. I know, right? just weird that way. And I'm so much like my mom and she always wanted to have kids, but there, I think there was that rebellious side of, yes, I'm so much like you, but I'm not you. 
-hmm. you know, that was that part of me that wanted my own identity. So I I didn't want to give into that. But, you know, her role modeling is what made me a much, much better mom. That's so sweet. Yeah. And she was an amazing grandma. So Um, is she... I forget. I'm sorry. She passed, passed away. She actually passed away on Earth Day. So uh, oh. last week was the anniversary on, in 2006, though. So it's been a long time. And I'm of the six kids of her six children. I'm the only one that stayed in the area. That was not intentional on my part either. Because uh, I, as I said, I was going to be a rock star and tour the world. Um, <laughs> but um, I was the one that stayed in the area. So I was able to... Um, she was, you know, closer with my kids than her other grandchildren. And I was her, um, well, she was, she remarried, but I was her, her caregiver at the end of her life for much of that along with her husband. So did your relationship with your mom change at all after you had your kids? Oh yes. In a huge way. Oh, um, I was so rebellious and I was kind of angry about stuff. And she was there and she was safe. So I took a lot of my anger out on her. My dad had died when I was um, 18. So uh, he wasn't there to take my anger out on, you know, so anger and frustration all uh, heaped on my poor mother, my poor saintly mother. Yeah, I heaped a lot of that on her when I was, you know, a young adult. Um, And then uh, so my older daughter, Daly, was born when I was 28 um, which to me was still too young. I, I was so immature in my own mind and unprepared and scared like crazy. Uh, but as I started raising my kids, I started seeing more of my mom's perspective of why she did things and how she did things. And I kept a lot of what worked for her. So, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm so sorry about your, the passing of your parents. My condolences. That's okay. It just, it's, we all have different paths. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have them now. I, I still do in a way, you know, I feel them. I feel their protection a lot. Yeah. 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 Especially this past year with all the meditation and uh, things I've been doing. I, I feel their guidance a lot. That's really sweet. So you mentioned um, that you had endometriosis um, yes. and you've told me before that you never expected you would be able to have kids. You were told you would not be able to have kids. Right. Um, so yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I'm not sure what the question is, but that's kind of remarkable. Yeah, it was. And you know, so it was like, okay, you're never going to have kids. Okay. That's fine. You know, big deal. Right. Um, and then, so I, but I was having a lot of pain with my menstrual cycle and, um, lots of super heavy bleeding. Um, and so, yeah, it was really hard. Like there were days that I could not get out of bed. Oh my gosh. And of course there's always that. And, in, and that started in high school and there was that thought that I was making it up to get out of going to school or, you know, uh, like the doctor, honest to God, thought I just wanted to go on the pill. Uh, and he did put me on the pill and it was, you know, that's another story. Um, but so as I got older and started seeking different medical advice and help I had gotten, I'd had to go in for a laparoscopy, um, where it was exploratory and a laparoscopy is where they make two small incisions. One is with a scope, which is the camera. Um, and it's in the belly button. And then there's another one slightly below it where they take, they can do a laser. 
and they will laser off any of the end. So endometriosis is where the tissues from the lining of the uterus go out into your, your or can attach to other organs. Right, outside of your um, uterus. And I wasn't diagnosed with that until I was 25. So, um, and even then it was, they didn't know what to do and they just kept putting me on. Like I did continuous birth control and uh, I just kept getting fatter and fatter and more and uh, more inflamed and and out of whack um and so then um i went in for the laparoscopy uh they also did a dnc and that was 1987 that was probably october or november and we decided that we were just not going to use um any kind of um uh, Medic, medicinal birth, you know, I, I went off the pill. I'm trying to think what else we had decided we were doing at that time. I think we were just backing off of the hormones for a while mm -hmm. to see what would happen. And so we were using other forms of birth control. Uh, and <laughs> there were two times in my life that I left it up to my ex-husband and their names are Daly and Mallory. So oh, my word. <laughs> honest to God, I, I didn't have easy pregnancies and so again, it wasn't that I, I didn't want them and, you know, needed to protect, prevent the pregnancy. It was that my life was a mess. It wasn't good timing. You know, I had a, 10 years later, I probably would have changed my mind and wanted kids, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but God had other plans for me. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like even, even though like you were, um, changing different forms of birth control and stuff. Like, it sounds like it would still be hard for you to get pregnant. I've heard with endometriosis, it's not easy to get pregnant. So it's no. kind of miraculous that you have two kids. The doctor, the doctor actually told me that I would need to do like fertility. And I'm like, oh God, no, I'm one of six kids. I'm not doing that. And yeah. especially not more than one at a time. Sure. Good sure. grief. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, but I am one of six kids. And so my mom's fertility must have you know, I must've inherited that on some level. Mm -hmm. I was meant, you know, uh, I was meant to have these kids. So, yeah. And can I just say, it makes me so mad whenever I hear people tell, like telling me that doctors don't believe them or they like downplay, uh, women's concerns or pain or anything. It's so frustrating. There's so much bias in the medical field. Oh, and back in the eighties, this was in the eighties. So actually, you know, I was in the high school in the seventies. They did not believe me. You know, I felt like, I literally felt like my insides were being scraped with a Oh my gosh. I don't know oh. how else to describe it. It yeah. was that painful. Um, my emotions were so out of whack. I would fly into rages. Um, and it was actually a combination of a good medical doctor who ended up, she was a DO, um, which makes a difference. She was an osteopathic doctor. So they look a little more at holistic, a little bit. Um, and it was... It was my uh, mental health counselor that had me start keeping a, jur a journal of my symptoms and of my rages because I would fly into rages where I would want to either kill somebody else or kill myself. Oh, and I word. didn't know why. Wow. And I had no control. I felt like I had no control. Um, and then as soon as we figured it out, because it was like, oh, look, it's totally cyclical. You know, it's a hundred. And then, and then it's like my husband knew, okay. I won't, I, you know, I'll make other plans these days of the week, right? Or the month. Um, and uh, so he lived through it. Um, 
but yeah, it was, my emotions were so out of control. Um, and, uh, so that's how we figured it out. Uh, and that's when we started things like the continuous birth control to keep the, the hormones stable, which again, Mm -hmm. that helped with that, but it didn't help with, you know, it messed me up in other ways. So, and, and the doctor that figured it out was a woman. And so she believed me and that was it. I had so many, and unfortunately she could never deliver my kids. She did not uh, do childbirth. And so then I had to go to male um, obstetricians and I did not like either one of them. And they were both, um, yeah, my childbirth experiences would have been much better if we'd have resources like we have now. I'll put it that way. Cause I had really difficult pregnancies. Oh, well, sorry to hear that. So I, they're, it's just a miracle that they're here. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved, you know, everything that could have gone wrong with me and still had a healthy baby. And that's really what happened. Oh my word. Wow. Um, both of them during the delivery swallowed the meconium. Oh no. Both of them had the cord wrapped around their necks. Wow. So the whole thing, when I look back now, you know, 33 years later, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. It's miraculous. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're doing better. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a hysterectomy two years after Mallory was born. I did that help. Um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it still took a few years for the hormones to calm down. Um, and they, I was on estrogen replacement cause I was, I was young. I was only 35. Um, so, uh, I was really young and, uh, they didn't want to, you know, they said I needed the estrogen and, and maybe I did for 10 more years. Actually it was probably 15. Cause I, yeah, I didn't stop till I lost my insurance years later. I thought I was going to need it forever, you know? Yeah. So. Wow. So you also mentioned that when you had Bailey, you were 28 years old Mm -hmm. and you still felt too young. So yes. Do you feel like your age affected your mothering and how you parented? Oh, big time. So I talked about that anger stuff Mm -hmm. and that still was not in control. It, it was better. It was better. Um, and I didn't like, I didn't ever abuse them. Um, not, you know, I learned early on how to deal with it better. Um, but I didn't have a direction in life. Sure. I was lost. Um, you know, I'd gone from rock star to now all of a sudden you're married to this guy who's managing a record store. You're working. I was working as a administrative assistant, had to quit to be on bed rest. Um, cause they were worried I'd lose the baby. And at that point, um, I mentioned that all the, uh, being on the pill so much had made me gain a lot of weight. I'm five foot two, just so your listeners know I'm five foot two. And I weighed, um, the day that daily was born, I weighed 200 pounds. So, and I'd only gained 18 pounds with the pregnancy. So that meant that my weight was 182 when I got pregnant. That is super. I mean, that's obese. That is obese for my size. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I was not in good health at all. I had a huge journey ahead that I'm really still on as far as that stuff goes. Um, that was part of it was that my health was in disarray, but my career, my future, you know, we expect children when they're 18, it's still children. Gee, I'm legally an adult. No, you're still a child. 
I, I don't want to offend you. anybody. Sure. Yeah. We expect them to know what they're going to do for the rest of their life so that they graduate high school, boom, go to college, get your degree, do this forever. And that was really the mentality I was raised in. And I was going to be a rock star. Well, you don't need a college degree to be a rock star. Um, and of course, that was more about the the money. Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a fame issue because I was going to be more famous than all my siblings and all that, you know, because I'm one of, I'm the middle child of six. So they'll all notice me. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, there, you know, there was a lot of that. But, you know, I was at 28, nowhere near anything. No, you know, working in, I'd worked in a record store. I'd worked um, in a clothes you know, I'd done retail, I'd done, I'd waited tables. Um, I even applied it like as a singing waitress, but because it was a country restaurant and I didn't do country, you know, uh, and we had sung, we'd had a band and I played some gigs, but we weren't good. Um, you know, I'll just put that out there. We were a garage band. We weren't very good. Uh, we never lasted long. Um, uh, and I'm the only one of, of everybody that was in that band that's still a musician. So, but what happened, so I was so confused, you know, what am I going to do? And I really went into a deep postpartum depression, partly because of the hormones. Um, and in a large part, because, well, you asked about my mom, I saw my mom had given up her whole identity. Now, part of her identity was wanting to be a mother mm -hmm. and wanting to be, um, that, that was who she was. She wanted that large family, but she, as a kid had wanted to be an opera singer. And that was the part that resonated with me. Not that I ever liked opera, but, um, I purposely hated it because she loved it. Um, she, she gave that up to marry my dad and have all these kids. My dad had a, um, political career in local politics. And so she became the woman beside the man. And then when my dad died, and so she really, she managed his campaigns. She um, was an advocate for disabilities in our neighborhood. She was PTA president. She was the woman behind the man. She was the wing, the wind beneath his wings. Wow. She really was. Uh, he looked good because she had social skills. <laughs> he was extremely intelligent, uh -huh. but my mom was the community organizer person behind him. Wow. And so after he died, she all of a sudden still had three kids at home, although I was on my way out. Um, had no identity really, um, could not get any job other than, you know, here she'd run political campaigns and could not get a job. Oh. And this was 1979. And so I went through this huge identity crisis. So 10 years later, you know, when I, when I got pregnant or, you know, of, oh my God, my husband's going to die and leave me and oh. I have to raise this child. Where that came from, you know, that, that was just my, I guess you would call it PTSD or grief over losing my dad or mm -hmm. whatever that, I don't know how, what you would call that mm -hmm. in today's psychological terms, but that's where I was now that I look back. Right. Yeah. So I got a job, a friend of my mom's was an attorney and, um, she hired me. She knew that I, you know, had all this administrative assistant skills and, she was at my mom's, I think she came to the baby shower or maybe, no, it was after the baby was born. My mom did a little brunch nice. and this friend came and I was only like, baby was a month old. And, um, she offered me a job doing data entry 
for her legal firm. Um, and it was for bankruptcy clients. So I sat at home. She let me work at home. So I got my first computer in 1988, uh, in October, actually, because yeah, Daly was six weeks old when I started that job. So I put her like in the baby swing or in the, and I'd sit there and do my data entry. And so then, um, she really encouraged me to go back to school and she thought I should get my degree in business and become an attorney because I'm, oh, you're so smart. You should do this. It's like, you know, yeah, I could, I could totally do that. Right. I am smart. I could do that. So I go back as a business major because you have to have a bachelor's degree in something. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, I'm going to be the business manager and attorney for the rock band. See how Uh my mind's working? Uh (laughs) Not giving up the rock band yet. (laughs) So I go back as a business major and I'd already had quite a few credits. I'd been taking one class a semester for several years. Um, So to back up when my dad passed away, I'd been majoring in music in community college which was how I met my ex-husband. Um, and so shortly after my dad died, we moved in together because we thought that was the universe telling us, you know, God's telling us we need to be together. And then we got married three years later. So anyway, um, we'd been married nine years when Daly was born. So I was really lost. And so I just started taking more credits. You know, I, so I had all the, all the music credits from community college. Then I started and I'd been taking business credits after that. Um, and so then it's like, okay, maybe I will consider law school as, wow. you know, that's the only way I'd be able to pay off the student loans. Sure. Uh, so I started going to ASU again. Um, and um, two semesters in, could not pass calculus, super frustrated. No, it was only a semester. Uh, I took calculus and I took a, a history class for non- a music history class, just as a generic, you know, mm-hmm. something, something really hard and something fun. That was uh-huh. it. Uh, Cause I could only take two classes with a newborn baby and a yeah. part-time job. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of how, you know, uh, and my mom was definitely, you know, do you need to do this? You need to do this. Right. So she was get the degree, get the degree. Get the degree. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that was her push because she knew my frustration of, and, and she knew that that was her barrier was that she never, you know, she went to secretarial school and then married my dad. Uh, that was her thing, get the degree. Um, so uh, I was doing that and the music class, I, I failed calculus. Um, and the music class I, at the end, I was talking to the professor. She said, she said, you're a musician. Why aren't you majoring in music? And I was hemming and I got to make a living. I'm not good enough for opera and classical. And, you know, and she's like, well, we have a jazz program. We have music ed. You could do this. And I'm like, you know, music ed could work. I could do that. Uh, You know, even though my music ed background was like non-existent other than I sang in choir in schools, I didn't really take lessons growing up at all because my family was too busy. Mm -hmm. Life was too busy. The piano was next to the TV. A few times I had piano lessons. I never practiced because my brother always wanted to watch TV and he won. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, Anyway, so I go, I walk across to the music. So the music building, I don't know if you're, you didn't go to ASU. Um, So, and back in those days, things were not automated. So I walk over to the office, uh, the, where the class was, was just across the hall. I walk across the hall to the office and I said, I wanted the checklist. This was 1989. So Daly was barely a year old. Um, I wanted the checklist for music education, the requirements. 
and she handed me the wrong checklist. She handed me the one for music therapy, which I had never officially heard of. And she tried to tell, she said, oh, wait, that's the wrong one. And I looked at her, oh, I want to see what this is. And I said, no, I want to look at this one too. And she handed me the music ed one. And to back up just a minute, I, I had a different job in 1986, 87. My sister had started a company where she did job training and placement for adults with disabilities. And I was her first employee. Didn't end well, well uh, didn't end well because she wrote me up for singing on the job. It was my day job while I was singing in the rock band and I was walking out of it. I'd been training a client in a facility and I was walking out singing and the director of the facility got mad. And so Aww. my sister had to write, she called my sister. My sister had to write me up. Oh, no. I got mad and quit. Anyway, <laughs> but while I was working that, I know, isn't that funny? She's like, I, I would never write you up for, for singing on the job. And I said, oh, but you did. <laughs> Anyway, but um, on that job, I had been in a group home assessing a client that was going to come work in our job training program, and there was music therapy going on, and I didn't know what it was. And on the one hand, it was like, oh, that's cool. And then on the other hand, I tuned it out because, you know, I'm into rock and roll music, and they were doing something different. But anyway, so I sort of, in the back of my mind, that seed had been planted of, you know, music therapy, and I didn't know it. And so she handed me the checklist. And I go home and I just start looking and realized that in addition to all the music classes I'd had in community college, I'd also had a lot of psychology classes because I knew I was a messed up individual. Mm. And maybe I want psych. Um, so I started looking going, wow, so many of my credits transferred and were applicable. And then if you looked at my life experience, I told you about that little girl that I, you know, that I did respite, which is what we call it now, right? I did respite for her as a five or six-year-old, right? So it just all fit together. And I changed my major and went back to school full-time in uh, right around daily turning one-year-old. Wow. Uh, so in August or September, whenever school started that year, yeah. um, I went back as music therapy major. And that was so hard uh, with the baby. Okay, so all of that um helped it sounds like like helped you kind of define who you are and feel more comfortable and and have a purpose like you said and how did that translate yes. into your mothering well so yeah that's the next part of the story which is beautiful because as I'm learning to be a therapist and a music therapist um I you know it's impacting how I relate to my daughter how I relate to my husband how I relate to my nieces nephews the world around me and I start getting myself together and the music itself is healing. And so as I learn to be a better musician, cause I had, as I said, I had no, no real musical training and I wanted to be a rock star cause I could open my mouth and sing. Mm -hmm. That was it. You know, I'd sung in choir and I was always louder than everybody else. <laughs> so that must mean something, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, as I became a musician, uh, cause I really, yes, I was, a musician before, but I wasn't a musician before. Um, so as I became a musician too, the music itself, you know, is very healing and very grounding. And so that helped. Um, and then at the reverse is also true of having a child while I was going through my music therapy career education helped me have repertoire for working with, you know, cause I already had plenty of rock and roll genre 
and I was, you know, do it. They, they make you take music history and um, all the different ethnomusicology classes and all that. So um, really what I needed was the early childhood music. Um, I knew a lot of big band and a lot of um, jazz standards because that's what my parents loved. You know, so I knew a lot of 50s, 60s, you know, and, and having a wide age uh, span of children in my family, too. So I knew all that music. Um, so, yeah, getting, you know, having my daughter watch Barney um, and, you know, uh, she watched Reading Rainbow and I got ideas for for books that I could sing, um, you know, and those kinds of things and Sesame Street songs. So then when I, you know, when I graduated and I'm working at home and kids are, are you know, having trouble relating to me and I can jump, you know, jump in and sing an Elmo song. And all of a sudden now I'm their best friend, you know, so it, it was really, um, it worked together. It was beautiful. Yeah. I don't think I realized how much, um, your music therapy, like education and career, like ties in with your mothering. Oh, it gets better. Yeah. So, um, I got pregnant with Mallory in what was supposed to be my senior year, but I got pregnant. I st- still would have been my senior year. It wasn't because of getting pregnant with her. It was a mean teacher that decided to bully me. Um, this person. Uh, okay. So I was taking class piano, which is required. You have to have four semesters of class piano. I had been getting B's in class piano, even though, as I said, I grew up not ever having lessons. I got pregnant and, and all the B's came from teachers assistant, you know, from grad students that were teaching the class. And that's how those programs work usually. Well, the director of the class piano program, I, something happened and she had to go back in and start teaching the class piano classes again. In addition, she was having serious medical issues and had to have her jaw wired shut. So it was like hearing Darth Vader in my headphones, first wow. of all. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. As she was breathing, right? she took an immediate dislike to me and I was also sleep deprived as a new, you know, having a toddler at home, being in school full time and being pregnant. Yeah. I was exhausted. So I would make stupid mistakes in her class, but I was still passing her class. And I had told her that, you know, my first daughter, that daily had been three weeks early and that chances are, you know, Mallory was due the week after finals, but that chances are she would be early like her sister. And that, you know, I may miss school. And she's like, as long as you're passing the class, I'll give you an incomplete and you'll come back in the summer and do your final. Well, that's exactly what happened. She was born on April 2nd, the week before, two weeks before finals. So she was three weeks early. Professor decides that because I'd also missed the week before she was born, because I'd been having uh, false labor and, you know, doctors like, okay, you're in bed, you mm-hmm. know, stay in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so she decided I missed too much. So she scheduled me for a 7 a.m. final the week after my baby was born. No. Now, anybody who's ever had a baby knows that the first thing you do when you get home from the hospital after a, a rough pregnancy and childbirth, you practice your piano for your final, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> so then she failed me. Oh, I went no. in and I could not play the final and she failed me oh. instead of doing what she was supposed to. So anyway, I had to do, you know, I had to, thankfully I was working, I was still working for the attorney. <laughs> so I, we had to write a letter and my attorney signed it and I had to threaten to sue ASU and, wow. uh, cause she didn't, it cost me a full year. 
Oh, that's so frustrating. Graduate, and I because I would have graduated that summer. Oh, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, so it cost me a full year of me arguing with them, and then so I couldn't even do. And at that time, you couldn't do internship until you were a hundred percent done. So that one credit held me up a full year to even starting my internship. So, yeah. Anyway, so, um, but then I survived that. And it was like, some of these roadblocks are like, there's no point to this. And that's one of them. Other roadblocks are like, now I see why. Um, So maybe the point was that it put me in the right place at the right time. Because after, so Mallory was two when I finally finished school. And I started when Daly was in kindergarten I started volunteering and I was, became room mother at her school. So that was, I think I just finished internship and was still working at the hospital. Um, yeah, that would have been 1997 that I, that I was board certified finally started. And the special ed class right across the hall um, was there was a preschool and that teacher's daughter was in Mallory, was in Daly's kindergarten class. So I would go in there and it's like, I want to practice and I bring my guitar and just do music with the kids. It wasn't music therapy, just, you know, just singing and playing songs, just singing and playing songs, getting practice. So the kindergarten teacher's like, you have to go to Mary's class because that's the special ed class and they need you. So for the year that daily was in kindergarten, I volunteered in that classroom in the special ed class. So every time I would go in to do a group for the kindergarten, I would just automatically go across the hall. I loved those kids. Then I was working more and stopped volunteering they they missed me and they started finding money the year mallory was in kindergarten was my first year or was in yeah kindergarten was my first year of actually contracting nice. with the with the preschool programs mm-hmm. um by the time she was in first grade actually no she was in pre-k and then by the time she was in so it was two years that i contracted mm-hmm. and then by the time she was in first grade the district hired me full time to run a district-wide program. So we had the same schedule from the time Mallory was in first grade until the time she graduated high school when they laid me off. Wow. So every break was the same. I was able to use their elementary school as my home school. So I stopped there every morning and checked in with that same preschool teacher. She was my like, okay, here's my office. My office was a cubby. She gave me a little cubby in her classroom and that was my office in the school district because you have to have a home base and I was roving. And so I started every day there and I ended every day there, which meant that I could deduct all that mileage (laughs) as I drove to every school in the district. And then, um, yeah, so then because I was a district employee, I was able to move my kids as I needed to, to other schools so that I could find, you know, uh, better opportunities for them. Uh, again, we had spring break, fall break, uh, summer break together, even though I, I did work a lot over the summers on other projects and stuff, but we were able to do some epic adventures with my kids, Aww. just the girls and I, cause my ex had to work a lot during those times and he wasn't big on, we did some family trips, but, um, yeah, the girls and I, we had a blast. That's so sweet. Yeah. So you kind of touched on a question I have. Um, so you were married to your ex-husband. Um, and were your kids out of the house by the time you divorced? I don't know. Just about. Um, okay. We so, were married 30 years. He told me he was leaving the day before Mallory turned 20. So she was in college. Okay. Um, so 
you said he had to work a lot. So it was mostly you and the girls. Did you feel like you were parenting by yourself kind of? Or was I was. It like, oh, were you? I didn't, I didn't admit it at the time. I mean, he was there. Uh, so I didn't want to admit that at the time. But now that I look back, um, he was in his own world a lot. And a lot of that is he had undiagnosed mental illness that just kept progressing and progressing until he couldn't hold it anymore. And I became the source the recipient of all his anger and hatred oh, no. and frustration. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. That's... And jealousy. Well, Ooh. he was in the band too. Uh, as a key, he was a keyboard player. His mom was a piano teacher. So he had played piano for his whole life, but he could never finish school because of his own, whatever the deal was, I was going to get my degree. Then he was going to go back and get his, and he never did. And for whatever his reasons, that's up to him. And so he was frustrated in his life and his career. He never did what I did, which was find my identity. And so then he became angry and he took a lot of that anger out on me and he took a lot of that out on the girls. And that I regret, that is the biggest mistake I made as a mother. I stayed too long. People who think that you are staying with your spouse or your children, think again, think again. That's all I can say on that. I, I well, if you might have more questions about that, I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess it, it, everybody's situation is so different, but that is a yeah. good reminder that, you know, it's, if you think it's the only reason is just to stay with the kids, you know, think about it because it, it could be toxic for yeah. everyone in the house. It could be, well, it, I mean, it would be hard for the kids if you divorce. It'd be hard for the kids to stay together. It just exactly. depends on everyone's situation, individual yeah. situation. Yeah. I was just determined to stay regard. I mean, I really did think that we were going to stay together forever. Um, that was, I married for life. That was my thought, my feeling all along and you don't marry, you don't divorce somebody just because they're mentally ill. So, you know, I married for better or worse. And that was what my mother told me and kept telling me. Now, I know had she seen what she, you know, what happened, she would have totally changed that because I know she also did a lot of work with single mothers and women getting out of abusive situations she would have changed her whole tune had she seen the whole the whole picture. Mm. But I didn't even see the whole picture. Sure, it's hard so. to when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And as a therapist, I kind of did beat myself up about not seeing the whole picture. I was still on the, oh, you know, he'll figure it out, he'll get help. Uh, you know, I'm a therapist, I can deal with it. And, mm. you know, I, I couldn't see things from my kid's perspective. I probably would have. Well, yeah, stuff that they've told me since. Uh, I, I would never have known, and they were bullied into not telling me things. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so there's nothing you, you can't. You, that's that 2020 hindsight that I can't fix. Sure, sure. And yeah, so yeah, I have regrets, and I can't, you know. But I still have a very close relationship to my daughters, and uh, he does not. They have chosen not to have him in their life. And it sounds like that experience um, brought you closer to your daughters and yes. allowed to have a, a nurturing uh, relationship with them. We we had to go through a lot to heal together. There was there was some um, not really fighting between us, but struggling to figure it out between mm -hmm. us. My older daughter had just gotten a scholarship to go to grad school. Um, she got a huge scholarship. Uh, she's a violinist and she went to Northwestern and that was kind of the final straw in for him because 
he was so frustrated about not, you know, reaching any of his goals. And so it angered him that she was leaving, that she was doing this, that she was finding her identity. And so that's when it all blew up. And so I think she had some, well, there was definitely trauma of her moving away, but she felt like there, there was a little bit of responsibility, I think, that she felt, even though it wasn't, it's was 100% him. You know, she she should be pursuing her dreams. So, you know, we worked through that. Uh, that she shouldn't, you know, our marriage was doomed long before she got that scholarship. That was just, he finally had had enough to leave. Um, and Mallory was in college too. And he never, he never even had a high school diploma. He got his GED. So, you know, he was frustrated and angry with himself and felt, you know, that we were all passing him up because I had also gotten my second degree. I got a master's degree in that time too. And he heard me encouraging the girls, you know, and basically all I ever said to them was get a degree before you get married and have kids. That was all I said. And that was really my biggest, because it was so hard to get through school as mm -hmm. a mom. So sure. really that was all I said to them. And I didn't, you know, like try to push, try to use him. Oh, don't be like your dad. And, you know, I never called him a failure. I never even I didn't even go there. Mm -hmm. They could see enough how he struggled to have a career mm -hmm. in anything and to succeed in anything. A lot of that was his personality of burning bridges. But so they saw all of that anyway. And that's the other thing that I would say to, to parents, to moms, you know, your kids see more than you think they do. You cannot really keep secrets that you think you are keeping. They all come out some way or another. They will all come out. So uh, kids are intuitive, even as babies. Perceptive, yeah. Perceptive. Oh, yeah. I, I have no doubts that, yes, there were some health issues with my daughters being colicky, right? And, you know, teething, those kinds of things. But a lot of it would have been a lot better had I been a calmer mother, <laughs> had he been a calmer father. And that's, that's the thing I think young parents you know, the younger the parent, the harder that is to, to get that calm, that piece of, I can keep it together and deal with this. This is, you know, baby's not crying because of me. Baby's crying because they're hurt, you know? Sure. Yeah. They don't know that how to communicate. Kind of yeah. Yeah. I, for me, I know that would have been for me true. If I had mm -hmm. had kids in my twenties, um, I would not have had the coping skills to know how to yeah. deal with it. Um, I, I know some young parents who do great and they're, you know, they're great and they have those coping skills, but I know for myself, that would have been true. I would have been very stressed out and the kids would have been stressed out. Yeah. Well, hard. and some of that, I think, because my mom was 26 when she had my sister, barely 26. Your old, Not is even. that her first kid? Your oldest yeah. sister? Yeah. So, uh, and that was six years before I came along, but then she had my brother within 11 months. Uh, then there was a gap. A short gap and then she had my brother and then another short gap in me um and then the last two k boom boom so um yeah she was young because there was a 12 year spread so if she was 26 that means you know 38 by the time her second child was and or her last child was born so yeah that's young when mm -hmm. you think when you think now so many women are waiting until their 30s and 40s yeah yeah and that's definitely a, cult a cultural shift 
Uh-huh. Um, I, but in my religious culture, a lot of women are encouraged to have babies young. <laughs> yes. Um, so in, in your whatever, however you want to define it, spiritual, religious, um, other culture, like how did, how did that affect your mothering? Okay. So, yeah. Um, so I come from a long line of short, tiny Jewish women <laughs> and men too. Uh, we're little people. Um, with my mom had relatives that were not even five feet tall. She had wow, cousins and they, we called them the little people. They were really tiny. So, uh, and I used to wonder like in my fat days, how come that gene missed me? Did I only get it from my dad's side? And now I know that, you know, I was a toxic person. And as I've worked through, I, I really am petite. <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, yeah, so Judaism, you know, yes, they did, you know, being able to have a large family was a blessing, was always a blessing. And, you know, of course, more people to work on the farm and more people to, you know, milk the cows and all that kind of stuff too, right? Um, from that tradition the tradition but um really my mom is one of five kids but all of her siblings only had actually one of her siblings didn't have any kids at all and her other siblings each only had two and that's been interesting in my family too um how that repeated um because all, all of us well one sister did not have any biological children um so of the five of us that did one brother has four, but he's been married three times. All the rest of us have two kids. Oh. Each. Mm-hmm. And I used to say one for each hand. <laughs> um, that's what I wanted. One for each. I, I knew I didn't want an only child. So once I knew I could get pregnant mm-hmm. and, and have a baby, then I did want the second one because I knew I didn't want an only child. Mm-hmm. That was my only thinking mm-hmm. of it. It was just, you know, more for her, I guess. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel so blessed to have my girls. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so in our, in our culture, you do get married young. My mom was all, and my parents even had, they had savings accounts for us put aside and it was college for the boys and marriage for the girls. Mm -hmm. And my sister, my older sister burst that ceiling, thankfully, Mm -hmm. um, and went to got her degree before she got married um and so my mom was fully on board with the college although she was really happy that i got married before you know uh she loved my ex-husband so um you know she was on board with that but then still wanted me to get to go back to school um after that after Mm -hmm. i got married and stuff so Mm -hmm. uh because i was 21 when i married him i was 19 when we moved in together yeah so she was all about uh, me going to school by that point. But she also, you know, you, she didn't want me to be alone. And, and that was a big thing, I think, with her. Um, she worried about us being alone in our old age, I think. And, Aww. you know, that's why. And, and really, that not that why you have a spouse and children, right? Nobody wants to go through life alone. You want a partner. Mm-hmm. So I think that was kind of her um, pushing us to 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 do both because she felt like we should be able to do it all she saw the difference and you know she really did it she was the first one of her family to move away from new jersey from that culture uh so she really raised the six of us my dad being in the state legislature she was in a big way a single mother as well uh didn't have family supports 
you know, now she oh, says right. that was all of her family no in, in New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. New Jersey and New York. She had an aunt that she just adored that was in New York that was in Brooklyn, but they moved out here right after she died. And I think that was her last, her closest connection. So they moved out here because she was never close with her own mother. Mm -hmm. um, she was closer with her aunt, just the, their family situation. So yeah, so she was the first one to really move away from that nuclear family, um, which, you know, still now it's rare that people still live near. Um, and it was always expected that we would all move away. Um, I don't think any of us ever planned to stay in Arizona. It really, after my divorce, I was applying for jobs elsewhere, anywhere else. And didn't You're still happen, here. So I'm still here. Uh, still going to see the world. What is something that has surprised you about motherhood? Oh my gosh. So much again, because I never anticipated being a mother. Now, as soon as I became a mother, then the, the jokes about I'm only doing this so I can have grandchildren. Because <laughs> my mom used to say grandchildren were way better. <laughs> um, surprised me how deep it goes, how it affects your soul, how their pain, their loss, their grief is harder. I, I'd rather it be mine than theirs. That's the part. If I could save them and have everything happen to me and not them and have only the good things happen, Aww, I would. That's so sweet. That's it. You know, um, it's their heartbreaks that are the hardest. Yeah. Um, no mother should ever. And, and part of that is also watching my brother die at 35, my youngest brother. So I was also, I mentioned that I was his caregiver for quite a bit of my childhood because my parents were so busy. Mm -hmm. uh, he and I were, I was closest to him than anybody else in my family. So that's still like every Mother's Day. And the last time I talked to him was on Mother's Day. Uh, he called me on my birthday. I wasn't home and I called him back. My, my birthday's the week after Mother's Day. So he called me on my birthday. I wasn't home and he died a week later. Um, oh, so sad. Yeah. Uh, and that's how we found out that we have all that. My, so my dad died at 52 of a heart attack. Uh, my brother died at 35 of a heart attack. So that's so how we young. found out it was genetic. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, we think that he might've had a, been stung by a jellyfish, which he was with, oh. he was, he was in Cancun with his wife on their oh. um, 10th anniversary. It was on their anniversary. They were snorkeling and she thinks he had been having problems with asthma beforehand, which now I think was angina. Oh. Um, we don't know. Uh, no way to know. Yeah. And she thinks that he was either stung by a jellyfish or it was the asthma and he couldn't get his breath while they were snorkeling and they were in Cancun. It took too long for the paramedics to get there. No. So, oh, um, it was heartbreaking, but watching what my mother went through, that was the worst. And knowing that it's the wrong way of things. Um, so he died on Memorial day of 2001. And my mother was never the same emotionally. She went into kind of a deep, she did. She went into a deep depression. Yeah, it's um, hard. She had remarried, wasn't totally thrilled with her choice. And that happened and she went into a deep depression. And then after 9-11, cause she grew up so much, she spent so much of her time growing up in Brooklyn uh, with that aunt that I mentioned. And so after 9-11, uh, she was just too heartbroken and too sad. And she had a series of strokes and 
honestly, I think I was uh, instrumental in keeping her alive. And I do have some regrets about that. Although I was there at the hospital every second and I'm thankful I had six more years with her and music therapy brought her back almost, almost to herself. Not quite. Might've been easier for her if I had been able to let go, you know, and not prayed and not fought, but I was determined that God couldn't be that cruel and take both my, my brother and my mother, my two best friends in one year. So I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's, it's okay to talk about it and get through it. And cause losing a child is the worst thing, whether it's, um, and, and how many women have tried to get pregnant and they, you know, um, uh, or have gotten pregnant and they lose it. And they, yeah. um, so honestly, that was my bond with my mom was already so tight at that point, but that cemented it forever and ever. And I, it was a blessing to be able to care for her. You know, she still lived with her husband and there were a lot of fights because he would not, she wanted, I think she really deep down wanted to live with me and my family and he would not let go. And I think her outlook would have been so much better had I, had I been able to take her with me. And there were too many layers of things to work through to do that and make it happen and uh, finances and all that. So yeah, losing, losing my brother was the worst thing that happened to her. Seeing that, knowing already how much, you know, it hurts when my daughters have, you know, issues and pain and stuff. Um, yeah, I think losing your child is the worst thing ever, whether, whether you've held that baby in your arms or not. Yeah. Yeah. It seems really hard. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think it's really sweet hearing you talk about your, your own experience of being a mom. You also talk a lot about your immediate family and your mom. And yeah. it, it's like, it all is interconnected. It all affects how you parent and, and your relationship with your kids. It's really sweet. And, and I will add that since becoming a mom, I've had other people I was going to say women, but young women, but now it's not, it's, um, that have chosen to call me mom because they felt that connection missing. And if they need that connection, I'm willing, you know, uh, and, and I tell them, okay, so, uh, I have a young woman that's called me mom for years and it started because we have, we share the same middle name and she went to our church and we are very close and she actually just adopted a baby last summer. I have not yet seen baby other than on Facebook. Uh, she gave baby our, our middle name is Rose. She was struggling with her own mother. And I told her early on, I said, I will never be able to replace your mother. And my goal in, you know, so you can call me mom if you want to, and I'm good with it. And I will call you daughter and treat you like a daughter and call you on your, if you need me to call you on your. Yeah. But my ultimate goal in this is to bring you closer to your own mother. And she messaged me after her mother visited after she adopted the baby and said that was an answer to prayer. So I was so thankful. And, and actually she and I haven't been as close this year because she's raising this baby and she's developing her relationship with her mother-in-law and her mother. And I'm thrilled with that. And I'm fine to step back, but there's another, and, and there've been other friends through, you know, throughout life that have stepped in and out. And I'm willing to to help, but I've got another young guy 
that I met while Mallory was living in Ireland and he lived in my complex. And when I met him and he's her age, he's just a couple months older. And uh, I met him because he met my dog. I was out with my dog and he fell in love with my dog and he went out and adopted a husky puppy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we started talking and he was using and I knew he was using uh, he was using math. And, you know, being a therapist and having worked in rehab, I could tell. And um, so we would be out in our, our complex at a little dog area. It had a little playground area that we used as a dog park. And we were talking about, you know, that I had kids his age and um, got to be friends. And he started just calling me mom. And I said, you may not call me mom. And he asked, why? And I said, unless you want to hear uh -huh. what a mother would say to you right now. Yeah. And he said, okay. And I read him the riot act. I said, I will never come in your home. I will never hang out with you. I will not condone this behavior. I spend my career working with people that have challenges through no fault of their own with their mental, you know, with their brain, with their, you know, I'm not going to sit by and condone you destroying your brain. Yeah. I just won't do it. Yeah. And he just looked at me and I said, you're obviously an intelligent young man and he's a chef. You have a great career ahead. I, uh, you know, and it took him a little while. And I, again, I could tell, and he knew I could tell when he was high. Um, about a year later, he uh, was in a relationship that was based on partying and uh, not even a year later, a few months later, he got in with this woman and she got pregnant. Uh, they had the baby and he raised that baby while she, for the two years that she was in jail and she just got out and they're trying to navigate custody. She's trying to get full custody. And anyway, so he is totally sober. Does he still... Uh, still calls me mom. Does he still call you mom? So he nice. just moved to the West side. So I haven't seen him in a couple months. Yeah. Um, mom, she's still using, she's gonna, she's gonna make her own bed. Um, and that's what I tell him is just be patient. Keep, keep working, keep working hard, keep doing what you're doing. He's just working as many hours as he can so he can get custody. Well, custody. He's got yeah. partial now. So. so he turned his life around and I don't want to take any credit because he did all the work, but I did kick him in the butt the first time. I was the one that started him thinking along that lines, but he's reached out more to his mother and oh. his mother is now somewhat, it's not, it's a dysfunctional relationship, probably on both sides. I would say, um, not going to blame either one for all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause they both have a lot of growing to do. Uh, but I feel like having a child, you know, adults, the it either forces you to adult or, or you fall. It either forces you to grow up and be responsible or you're both lost. Right. There's different degrees in there. Yeah. I don't know personally from experience, but um, I, can, I can see how that could be. You true. know, yeah. And I don't, I don't want any of my story to make you more apprehensive. I wanted no. to make you understand that you have already got a thriving, beautiful career and an identity all your own. So does Troy. So that's where my marriage and my life altered, not having that basis for having those children. In addition, your career is really the perfect type of career to have a baby or multiple babies or whatever <laughs> you want to do, because this is an amazing career, right? Yeah. Music therapy is pretty great. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. And my good. last question for you, what okay. about motherhood brings you joy? Oh my gosh. Um, once I passed the pregnancy didn't, childbirth didn't, there was no joy there. I mean, I was so happy to see my babies, but um, having them out, <laughs> mm-hmm. having them in real life, holding them in my arms, um, all the good times. I I was blessed to walk my daughter, walk daily down the aisle when she got married. And I Aww. felt my mother right there with me. Aww. It was beautiful. And I know that's technically a dad thing. And it we matriarched it the whole way. It was beautiful. Nice. Um, so the good times. Uh, Mallory and I had an epic. Oh, my gosh. So in 2018. So I didn't talk a much about my health. My health has been horrible, as you know. And I did mention that we have a family history of heart disease. And But I had a, a heart attack in 2007, or I had open heart surgery in 2017 for a triple by- bypass. Um, and the recovery was rough. But in 2018, in the summer, as you know, I took an epic adventure. So I met Daly and Zane. So what I actually had offered to take my daughter and son-in-law, um, my younger daughter, Mallory, was living in Ireland, getting her master's degree at uh, University College Dublin. And I think she had just, yeah, she had just finished. And I wasn't able to go for her graduation. So uh, she just finished her internship. I, yeah, she graduated the summer right after my surgery. So the year before, and I hadn't been able to go. So I was actually going to borrow money and take my daughter and son-in-law, take Daly and her husband to Ireland and they could not get enough time off work to make it worthwhile. So what we did instead was I met them in Chicago because they live in Ohio, they're, they're in Cleveland. We had four or five days, of, we had a blast playing around in Chicago, just really being able to celebrate that we made it through. I did not, I did a thing, I didn't let them come when I had my heart surgery. I, Mallory was in the middle of midterms she would have flown home. And I said, no, Daly was working two jobs. And I was like, no, you can't afford this. And I think, well, now that I look back, I truly wanted to die. Um, And I didn't want them there. And I knew if they'd been there, I would have had to hang on. As it was, I didn't get to die. Um, Thank goodness. I hung on anyway. (laughs) And we're so glad. Uh, Thank you. Um, For the most part, I am too. But it's still been a struggle health-wise, as you know. Um, So anyway, I didn't let them come. But then I was ready in 2018. I was ready to celebrate that I made it. So we played. We had a blast in Chicago. And then, and the only sad part about that was Mallory wasn't with us then. But then I flew to Ireland and I took three more weeks. So I had almost a week in Chicago and then three weeks we did eight days in England where um, I have a niece that <laughs> she was supposed to graduate with her PhD last summer. Uh, she goes to University of Nottingham uh, and she's the, she'll be the first PhD in my family Dang. and uh, hasn't officially graduated yet. I guess maybe it's going to happen this summer. We don't know. Uh, but anyway, so we stayed in Nottingham with her for four days, um, which was amazing. Uh, rented a car, drove out in the countryside 
Mallory learned how to drive on the wrong side of the street so we could do all this. And, uh, you know, because they drive backwards over right. there. And my driving <laughs> is horrible here. So we didn't, we knew better than to let me go. Uh, and these are single lane row. Oh my gosh, it's nerve wracking. But anyway, we had a blast and then drove around Ireland uh, for two more weeks. And so, uh, so, yeah, that's been one of the biggest joys is celebrating their big accomplishments too. Um, and just watching them thrive. And despite COVID, despite this last year of, you know, Daly's been out of work. Oh, no. um, but oh, her violin, COVID, she's yeah. Been, yeah, she's been able to really play. Uh, she actually cut her hand. And as a violinist that she had to have surgery on my 60th birthday. Oh my goodness. Um, but thankfully she barely nicked the tendon, the tendon on her pinky finger of her bow hand. So if anything, it's helping her to relearn. Oh. Uh, so she's had now a year to practice and now she's preparing for auditions again and Good for her. getting ready for, I think a big, a big life move. I'm hoping they'll, that, that something will come that gets them on a better path because they're not happy where they're at. So, um, and then Mallory just started a new job. And so her degree or both of her degrees are in creative writing and she, she um, is a writer and a reader and just started a new job at the Phoenix public library. Cool. So she is very happy with that job and I'm Yay. very happy for her. So uh, yeah. So just that, you know, celebrating the times. And then thankfully my niece got married. My niece lives here uh, from my ex's side of the family, but we are, they maintain their relationship with us and broke ties with him because of he's not safe. Um, and so when my niece got married uh, last February, it was the last thing that we were able to do before the quarantine started. And thankfully, I um, Zane couldn't get time off work. So Daly came out just for the weekend. I, I'm like, I'm buying your plane ticket. I haven't seen you. They didn't come at Christmas that year. So uh, she came and we had a, a, a girl's weekend at my niece's wedding. So uh, that was really good. And yeah, so just celebrating with them and watching. And yeah, I'll have grandkids someday. I have enough adopted grandchildren so I can borrow grandkids till my kids are ready. <laughs> And, you know, when you're ready, because I don't think you have grandparent types here. So if you're yeah. here and you're ready, I volunteer. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> That'd be so sweet. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, you're part of my music. You're you're one of my music therapy daughters. So, and I do kind of take that, that connection. You know, I've had 25 interns now. Wow. And, Holy cow. You know, I've had, not every one of them have worked for me, but yeah, you've worked for me longer than anybody. So well, thank you so much for taking time and talking to me and checking in and sharing all your stories. Yeah. It was such a joy. I hope I didn't go to, you know, hope I don't bore people going too long or whatever. In no, podcast, it's great. It's all great. I love it. Thank you so cool. much. Can't wait to see the babies that you end up with. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you've already got all the basics there, you know. I hope like so. I, I feel like it. The fact that you're asking these questions you know, right there is already saying that you are thinking logically, rationally. And really when it comes down to it, having babies is all about your heart. So yeah. your heart, yeah, you, you'll know. I, yeah. I guess so. I've had other people tell me that too, that, you know, it just kind of kicks in. And when, once you have the baby, you just kind of, for, well, from, for some things, you know what to do for other things, you, you just kind of learn as you go. 
So, and you choose we'll your what happens. That's true. And everybody wants to tell you how to do it. And yeah. everybody's way is the best. And sure. you know, the only one you really need to listen to is me. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll teach you how to make soup. No, and the soup thing starts, and this is just a little tip, at the first sign of a cold, and my mother was not the best cook, but her aunt that raised her part of the time was, and of course, embodied that Jewish mother spirit. At the first sign of a cold, you start sauteing your your mirepoix, your your onions, your garlic, and then you breathe that. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, that's naturopathy right there. So you start making the soup at the outset of a cold, you know, and then when you add the chicken, that's got all the different medicinal qualities of, you know, so it really is, it's an old wives tale, but it's not, it's now got scientific proof behind it. So that's why I started making soup. And my mom never like was never a good cook, but she made soup for, you know, it wasn't the best. So then we took it all, all interestingly enough, because she was not the best cook, all of my siblings, except my oldest sister. Uh, her husband is a really good cook, so she does not cook. But all the rest of us, including my brothers, are all fairly decent cooks because of that. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'll leave you. But so that's how the soup started, because I always have soup in my freezer for when I'm sick or when somebody else is sick. And I participated in a soup ministry. I didn't say that my ex-husband was also a Southern Baptist preacher's kid. So I became a Christian early on in our marriage. And I did, you know. I still embrace my Judaism and all that, but um, that, that aspect too. So yeah. if I brought up church, that's why. Yeah. And Christmas. Yeah. And Christmas. Yeah. And Hanukkah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just to confuse all your listeners. It's okay. It's all part of it. It's all part of your life. It's great. Life is messy. Life is messy. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's all, it's kind of like my hair. It's all twisted and tangled and nobody can see that because this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my hair is really curly and it all blends together you know yeah right so yeah well thank you again and i'll talk to you soon my pleasure thanks for thinking of me bye bye thank you again so much debbie for talking with me and laughing with me and being comfortable enough to shed some tears as you talked about your brother and your mom sending you so many hugs and thanks for offering to be a substitute grandma to my future kids since all of my family is out of state and far away. You're so sweet. Um, also, for those who don't know, May is Jewish American Heritage Month. So thank you, Debbie, for sharing a little bit about your Jewish upbringing and culture. If you, listener, have any thoughts or questions, or if you want to come on the podcast and share your thoughts about motherhood, you can reach out to me, Laura Pruitt, on the Laura Asks About Motherhood Facebook page or Instagram account. Thanks for listening. Thank you.